Let's give God some praise in this house this morning. It's, it's good to be in the house of God and one more time. I was, I got here this morning during the eight o'clock and I must say I, my soul has been blessed to be in the house this morning. God used my brother this morning in a mighty way and my soul has been blessed. So to God be the glory for what he's doing in your life, man. I'm proud of you. I like the way you are growing in the God. Just continue to trust him and allow him to use you. To my pastor, I must say thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to stand in a spot that God has placed you to speak a word to my, my uncle, call him my uncle, Uncle Myron, good to see you in the house. The ministers, um, family and, and friends alike, it's just good to be here. Sister Terry, congratulations. May God continue to use you for his glory. Amen. To my family in the house, my wife, my good thing. Can't help but recognize you. And I thank God for you. Thank God for the woman that you are. Thank God for bringing us together. And I thank God for everything that he's doing and the things that he is going to do. To my children, I love you. <laughs> and I appreciate you. If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 25 to verse 33. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 25 through to verse 33. I guess somebody let me buy one. I was expecting it to be up on the screen, but that's all right. <laughs> verse 20, verse 25 to verse 33, and it reads thus in our hearing. Now the king sat on his seat as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something had happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why have the son of Jesse not come to eat 
either yesterday or today. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for my family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me go away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was arose against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had threatened him shamefully, treated him shamefully. Verse 35, and so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out unto the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad was with him. Then, verse 36, then he said to the lad, now run. Let me stop right there. <laughs> Sorry. From this passage of scripture, I want to talk to you this morning on the topic, to be king or a humble servant. To be king or a humble servant. If we're being honest with ourselves, we all like a feel-good story. We all like the story of the underdog. We like the story of people who weren't expected to be anything or accomplish anything make it into the limelight and achieve success. Throughout the Bible, we see this kind of story. We see the story of Gideon, who was in his clan considered to be the smallest clan in his tribe. We see the, the, the story of Ruth, how she was an outsider. She was a Moabite woman, but we found her in the genealogy of Christ. We also see the same kind of thing with the story of David. So we are drawn to the story of David because it talks about David who is a nobody in the eyes of his own family. We talk about David being out in the field taking care of the family sheep. 
it shows David that even when, Saul, if, if when the prophet Samuel turns up to their house to anoint the next king, everyone forget about David. So when David rose to fame by killing Goliath, when David rose to fame, when we see the children of Israel chanting his name and saying that Saul has killed his thousand and David has killed his ten thousand, we are familiar with those kind of stories. But uh, let me be honest with you this morning. I didn't come here to talk about David. I don't want to talk about David. You see, I want to talk about his forgotten friend named Jonathan. I want to talk about David's friend who no one seems to remember. I want to talk about the friend who didn't gain fame in the eyes of the people. I want to talk about the friend that even though he didn't gain fame, but he stood for what he believed in because he believed in the true and living God. That's who I want to talk about this morning. I don't want to talk about this feel-good story. I didn't want to talk. You see, because a lot of times as church folks, we love the feel-good story. All we want to hear is the feel-good story. But God is not in the business of letting us feel good. He's in the business of convicting our heart that he may bring about a change in our lives. So Jonathan, the Bible tells us that Jonathan was a prince. He was the son of King Saul who became friends with David. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 18, they, they described the closeness of their, their relationship. It says, Jonathan's soul was bound to the soul of David. It was bounded with him so much so that even at the death of Jonathan, we hear David said, the soul, we hear David said, I am distressed for my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of a woman. But allow me to stop there for a minute. Because oftentimes we have people who in this day and time, in this age, love to reach back to that time and bring stuff forward to fit in their own agenda to try to approve what they want to do. Because a lot of time I heard people use this text to justify their homosexual relations. And they use this to say, here is evidence that even in the Bible we have this kind of thing. But let me say something. Let me say something about this word called love. You see, love 
can't mean what you want it to mean. You see, oftentimes we want to take love and separate God from love. But it's impossible to separate God from love because God is love. And you can't find love, you can't find the expression of love without God being present. And I tell you, anything that violates God's laws cannot be labeled as love. So, you, so we find, what we find now in the, in the world is that we are here with, with our worldview, with, with our way of thinking. And we're trying to reach back into the scriptures and bring stuff forward and trying to have it mean what we want it to mean. But it doesn't matter how you hard you try, it will never mean what you want it to mean. It would always mean what God says it means. So it is impossible to remove God from love. You can't do it. You can't do it. It will never remain love. You might want it to be that, but it will never remain love. But I noticed that even in us, over the years, we, along with others, have developed this feel-good story about how our lives ought to turn out. This often ignites a struggle within us. Because it sometimes it sets us up in this fight where we, because of what was spoken to us, what was spoken into us, what we had come up with what we have formulated, we find ourselves going against what God has created us to be. And so over speak people have spoken into us. People have told us what we are to be. And a lot of time it's based on where we grew up, where we are from, who our parents were, what our experience were, and we find ourselves because my father was, I am, I ought to be. Because my mother is, I ought to be. But we have to make it up our mind that if I am to be somebody, I have to find out who that God wants me to be. It's all about God. We didn't create ourselves. He created us for a purpose. And we often find ourselves in a struggle, not knowing which way to go. Because this person is telling me this, that person is telling me that, the expectation of this person, and we lose who we are. Because we haven't taken the time out to find out who God say that I am. 
But I noticed that Jonathan didn't have this problem. I noticed that even though he was born to be the next king, in the eyes of his family, in the eyes of his father, Jonathan realized that kingship wasn't what God has in store for him. But the crazy thing about it is Jonathan was okay with it. Jonathan was cool with it. And the only person who wasn't cool with it was Saul. And he got to the point where it made him so mad that he expressed his anger towards his own son. But it doesn't matter about how somebody feel that what you should be. Always know who does God wants me to be. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what he wants. It doesn't matter what she wants. It only matters what God So the scripture, our text, our text in verse 5, it tells, verse 25, it tells us that David's seat was empty. But it also tells us that in spite of his seat was empty, Saul was cool with it. For a moment, it was okay with Saul. Because Saul also knew the scriptures. He knew that in Leviticus chapter 7, verse, 21, verse 20 and 21, that if you're unclean, you can't show up for the feast. If you are unclean, you're not supposed to show up for the, for the feast. This is what it says. It says, moreover, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing as, a, as the uncleanness of man or any unclean beast or any an abominable unclean thing and eat of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace. Next verse. Lord, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. So when Jonathan, when David's seat was empty, this is where Saul went. It's okay, he's not here today, but perhaps he's unclean, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But when the second day comes around, and he's still not there, so Saul goes to Leviticus chapter 15, Verse 4 to verse 6. Leviticus chapter 15. Verse 4 to verse 6. He said, every bed wherein he lies that has the issue is unclean. And everything whereon he sitteth shall be unclean. And whosoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be unclean until evening. So if you're unclean on day one, that's cool. Because I know evening is coming. 
and you have the chest to wash and be clean. So when you don't show up on day two, now Saul recognized we have a problem. I'm okay with him not being there day one. That's cool. Perhaps he is unclean. But when day two comes around and he don't show up, now Houston, we have a problem. So, so we see where Saul gave, gave, gave David the benefit of the doubt. In chapter 26, in, in, in verse 26 and verse 27. But in verse 28, we see Jonathan follow up with the story that he has formulated with, with David. And that story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 6. I'm going to take my time this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 6. We have it? Verse 6. Yeah, see that. That's all right, that's all right. Okay, verse 6. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Barakai, will do us more harm than Ab... Oh, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in second Sam. There we go. Come on. This what it If thy father at all miss me, then say David earnestly asks leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. So this is the story that, that, that David and Jonathan comes up with. Since my place is going to be missing, if the king is asking, where is David? This is the story that you should tell him. So David, so, so Jonathan told Saul this story. But have somebody ever tell you a story and write off, it didn't fly with you? You, you, you know that something was up, something not adding up? And you believe, you know that I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know that you are up to something. So this is the feeling that Saul had. And Saul gets so mad that he tried to kill his own son. But it's, it's said in verse 30 that Saul vented his anger with the most disrespectful, offensive language. He said, to the shame of your mother, nakedness. What he's really saying is that your mother will be ashamed that she brought you into the world. But we got to understand that this expression is, was not to his mother's shame. It was to Jonathan's shame. Because what Saul is really saying that you, Jonathan, should be ashamed that your mother brought you into this world. One who is to be the next king. And this is how you're behaving. This is how you are abandoning your role. This is how you're abandoning the lineage. Because in a monarch, the son's supposed to carry on for the father. And so Jonathan was mad. 
Saul was mad at Jonathan and not his mother. So further on in verse, in the same verse, we see where he would recognize him as a fool to be so friendly with a rival of one who was about to take his throne. It seems to be mind-boggling to Saul that his son, who was born with an expectation that he would be king, is showing loyalty for the one who was about to replace him. But you see, the thing Saul didn't understand that David, that, that Jonathan's loyalty was not to David, Jonathan's loyalty was to God. Because it doesn't matter who God has chosen. It didn't have to be David. It could have been somebody else. But Jonathan recognized that David was anointed the next king. And there is no good reason to stand in opposition to God. Because that is a no-win situation. So we see, perhaps, David, perhaps Jonathan see what happened to his father, how his father was being tormented because he went against God. Perhaps he learned his lesson from what was happening to his father and he refused to put himself in the same position where he find himself opposing God. Perhaps. But as I think about this, and as I wrestle with this text, this, I, I, this is a problem that I see because the church often becomes Saul. The church often stands in the position of Saul. The church often tries to tell our young people what they ought to be where they are to serve, how they are to serve, how they are to worship. The church often find themselves in the same position as Saul, putting expectations on people that God didn't put on them. The church often find itself in the same position, telling people what they ought to be. Instead of allowing God, instead of teaching them to seek God, to find out what God has in store for you. You see, don't allow no one to take the place of God in your life. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what status they had achieved. No one has the right to tell you who you ought to be but your creator who created you. No one has the right to tell you that what you ought to be but the one who called you. No one had the right to tell you which direction you are to go 
when they're not the God who has equipped you, who has gifted you, who has called you. So I have a question for you today. What is your soul? Who is your soul? Who is instructing you of what you ought to be when God didn't call you to be there? Who instructed you how to preach? Oh, you ought to be hooping. Oh, you ought to preach like this. Oh, you ought to preach like that. Oh, you ought to sing like this. Oh, you ought to play like this. Who has gifted you? Who has called you for his glory? That you should listen to someone else. That you should listen to a Saul who has lost his touch with God. Because Saul was king for 40 years, but he was only anointed for 13. So here you are listening to someone who don't even have a connection with God telling you what you are. So Jonathan, even though it was not a feel-good story, but the story of Jonathan is significant to the church. The story of Jonathan is significant today. Because once you know what God is saying, don't let nothing move you from out of position. Don't let nothing persuade you to go against God. Don't let nothing come in between you and God. Don't let nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But it's amazing because Jonathan was this guy who just trusted God in spite of. But, 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 the, but the result, the result, we would look at and say, but yeah, but he died. And we would say prematurely. But my question is, what was his purpose? What was his purpose? Did he live his purpose? And if he lived his purpose, does it matter what time he died? Or when he died? But the fact of the matter, he, he did what God wanted him to do? So, so when I look through this text, I, I see another man who was an anointed king. And when he came into the world, you see, there was expectation of him. You see, he was called the king of the Jews. You see, the Jews expected that he would come and sit on the throne as a warrior king and destroy the nation 
that opposes Israel. But I noticed every time in his, his words, he was always say, I must do the will of him who sent me. It doesn't matter about what you want. It doesn't matter about what your expectation of me is. I must do the will of him who sent me. I know you want this. I know you're in bandage. I know you've been pressured. I know, but I must do the will of him who sent me. Because at the end of the day, all that really matters is that we do the will of him who called us. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about... It's all about him. To the praise of his glory. Not to the praise of Pastor Venice glory. Not to the praise of Sister Terry glory. To the praise of his glory. And as long as it remains to the praise of his glory, we will find ourselves in position. Being positioned where God wants us to be. Because it's not about nobody else but him. You see, God is calling you today to the praise of his glory. You see, Jesus died for your sins. That you may have fellowship with the Father to the praise of his glory. What are you going to do? Are you going to respond to the calling of God to the praise of his glory? Or are you going to stand and reject him? God is calling. He created each and every one of us for a purpose. It may not look like what people are expecting from you. It may not look like what somebody else is doing. It may not look like what seems to be the norm. But as long as you stand in the position where God has placed you, and do whatever you do to the praise of his glory. It doesn't matter how it looks to the world. It doesn't matter how it looks to someone down the road. As long as it's to the praise of his glory.